G'day folks, welcome to episode 149 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray and we've got a huge episode to go through this week, in particular covering uh, a lot of details on various vulnerabilities. Qualys have been really active uh, the last while, finding a heap of great vulns and I want to go into a bunch of details on those, I think they're really interesting. So we will just get straight into that. Uh, this week there were 23 Unix CVEs that were addressed by the team. In particular, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, some vulnerabilities in the Util Linux package around uh, Umount. Uh, there's Firefox, uh, Crypt Setup, uh, Linux Kernel, and SnapD. And SnapD is the one I'm going to really dig into. Uh, this, yeah, it was a great uh, post by Qualys going into the details on this one. It's something we've been working on with the Qualys team for a while. So it's been great to finally get these out and get these updates delivered. Yeah, but I'll, I'll start first. So I'd say up first, we had an update for Util Linux. And this is kind of a package that has a lot of various utilities in it, uh, in particular uh, the U-mount or Fuse-mount uh, applications. And I, I did talk about Qualys at the start because, yeah, they have been uh, discovering a lot of vulnerabilities lately in SetUID root applications. And the, uh, both of those are two of those. A SetUID root application is something, uh, it's binary that has a special permission on it, SetUID, which means that when the binary gets executed, it doesn't execute as the user that uh, executed it. So say your standard user, it actually executes as the user that owns the file. And in particular, they're often owned by root, like all binaries on your machine. So that then ends up running as root. Uh, as you can imagine, if any user can run something that then runs as root, you can say, oh, that's uh, you know, root privilege escalation. And it kind of is, except most of these things are written very defensively so that they only do uh, you know, constrained things. They're not necessarily allowing the user to go outside the bounds of their authority. But And in this case, you know, U-mount and Fuse-mount, they're used so that, say, users can do things like mount or unmount a Fuse file system, which is a file system in, uh, in user space. Uh, and in this case, the vulnerability was that uh, this libumount, uh, a component of both of these binaries, it passes the proc self mount info uh, mount table to validate uh, if a file system that a user wants to unmount is a, an Fuse file system and that it's appropriately owned by the user. So, you know, it's checking that the user has the authority to do the thing that you know, is allowing them effectively to do, even though it then needs to be root to do that on their behalf. What libumount does is it uh, parses the you know the path that the file system is mounted at from there, uh, but the kernel uh, could actually append to it uh, the word deleted in parentheses to it because if, if uh, say root has gone and deleted that directory since, uh, you know th then captures that there, so it will strip that off from there and then go ahead and unmount the file system. However, uh, what you can imagine is that a user could uh, create a directory called, you know, slash temp slash space parentheses deleted, you know, close parentheses. They could then mount, you know, something on there as a fuse file system because they're allowed to do that. Users are allowed to mount their own file systems that are part of paths that they own. They then call uh, umount on slash temp. Uh, this lib umount will then go and strip off that deleted suffix uh, and then go and <laughs> unmount slash temp on the user's behalf. Uh, and so, yeah, you can imagine that it's uh, you know, a, very, a nice, interesting vulnerability there uh, and the kind of thing that then, say, in this case, would cause a denial of service because suddenly slash temp doesn't exist anymore on your machine when it should. Uh, as I say, there were two vulnerabilities here that they found. The second one was that it would also, you know, needs to validate that the user owns the you know, file system they're trying to uh, unmount. And it does that by comparing the user ID of the user that it invoked it with the user ID of the file system itself. Uh, however, it would do this as a string comparison and would only use the length of the user's user ID uh, to do that string comparison between the two. So you could imagine uh, the user is, say, user ID 1000, which is pretty standard for the first unprivileged user on a machine. And then perhaps there is another user that has the user ID of 10,000 that has gone and mounted uh, that file system in the first place. 
When uh, Libby Mount goes and checks this, it will only compare the string 1000 against the other string 10,000, but only use you know, those first four characters of it. So they will both match. And uh, the user 1000 will be able to unmount the other user's file system. So yeah, that one, not as big a vulnerability, but again, uh, you know, an, another vulnerability there in these set UID root binaries that allows you know, unintended consequences. The fix of that one was uh, quite simple, as you can imagine. It wasn't actually to correct the, the length of the string that was used. It was to compare them as uh, actual integers, which makes a lot more sense. Uh, so yeah, those were both fixed for uh, the util Linux package. After that, we had an update for speaks. Uh, this is the uh, audio file handling uh, libraries. In this case, there was a divide by zero that could be triggered through a crafted uh, web file. So as you can imagine, that causes a trap. Uh, that then will crash the application and cause a denial of service. We had an update as well for Firefox. This updates Firefox to the latest upstream release, 97.0. It had the usual sort of mix of vulnerabilities that we do see in Firefox and other uh, sort of web rendering engines. Things like, you know, possible cross-site scripting attacks or the like that could be uh, performed against you or maybe even, you know, remote code execution on your machine if you were to visit malicious websites. However, there were a few, uh, I guess, more uh, interesting vulnerabilities like the fact that uh, a malicious extension could bypass uh, the prompt that's normally shown to a user when it goes to auto-update itself and is then requesting extra, extra permissions, it could craft that in such a way that that wouldn't get shown to the user and then you know, gain extra permissions that the user wasn't aware of. There was also uh, a vulnerability where if you dragged and dropped a uh, crafted image file, the resulting file would be uh, have the execute permission set on it. And if that actually wasn't an image, you can imagine if that was actually, say, a binary, then you've now got a binary that has execute. And if the malicious website can get control of, say, Firefox, they could then go and execute that to get remote code execution. And finally, the web driver component within Firefox, this is kind of like a remote control interface that you can use uh, to sort of drive Firefox uh, directly. It failed to properly validate the host and origin headers. So that then means if you were to visit a malicious website with web driver enabled, it could then essentially take control of your Firefox and uh, you know do whatever it wants with it back running on your local machine. So they were all fixed as well. After that was an update for crypt setup. Uh, this is, I guess, the component that does uh, disk encryption in Ubuntu. It failed to properly validate the device header that's on disk. So essentially, you know, your whole disk is encrypted except for the very first header of it that kind of says, you know, what algorithm's being used, uh, you know, what are the key slots, all that kind of thing. And so what could happen then is if there was a local attacker that had physical access to your machine, they could say maybe boot that with a live USB or something like that. They can then uh, go and directly modify the bytes of that uh, header on disk to then trick crypt setup such that the next time it runs, it will go and re-encrypt that device, uh, but it would re-encrypt it with uh, no encryption enabled. So essentially we'll go and decrypt it in place on your disk. Uh, and so that, the way we fixed that actually was to disable that online re-encryption feature so that that can't be uh, that can't be sort of tricked into doing that. Uh, after that was an update for uh, Linux kernel for Raspberry Pi. So this is for uh, Ubuntu 2004 long-term support and 1804 long-term support if you're using the hardware enablement kernel there. I actually talked about the few vulnerabilities that are rolled into this back uh, last week in episode 148. So there were a couple of vulnerabilities in Bluetooth and one in the Firewire subsystems. Again, all of those could uh, result in a local attacker being able to crash uh, your kernel or get possible code execution. We had an update for libarchive as well. There were two issues in Simlink handling there. Uh, in, in these cases, it would follow Simlinks uh, when changing the modes or times or access control lists and flags on files when extracting them from a crafted archive. What that then means is that you know someone could craft an archive that then has Simlinks in it with different properties on them that say compared to the actual files on your file system. Uh, LibArchive would then go and follow those Simlinks so it could then 
uh, would then say go and modify say an access control list on a file that wasn't one that had originated from the archive it was from somewhere outside because the symlink points outside of that to somewhere else and then you know potentially get i don't know the ability to read arbitrary files or whatever it might be on your machine as well there was a memory corruption vulnerability that could be triggered when uh, parsing crafted rar archives uh, and that could be used for denial of service or remote code execution as well okay and so that then takes us to the big update of the week which is snapd we had four different vulnerabilities that were rolled into this. Uh, two of these, high priority, uh, two medium priority. And this is for SnapD on all the supported bunch of releases. And as I mentioned at the start, two of these were found by Qualys. Uh, again, this is, this is in a set UID root component of SnapD, and I'll go into that in a bit more uh, a bit later. It's called SnapConfine. Plus two issues that were actually discovered by Canonical employees. One of those uh, is Ian Johnson from the SnapD team, and the other one from James Troop of the Bootstack team. And yeah, we'll get into details of all of those in just a minute. So... Let's do it. Uh, so Qualys released this advisory today and they called it Oh Snap, More Lemmings, Local Privilege Escalation in Snap Confine. Now this is something uh, that actually we've been working with Qualys on for the last few months. Uh, they reported to us back in uh, November last year. And uh, given the holiday break and various things, you know, the uh, coordinated release date for that uh, has sort of gone on a bit longer than we had wanted to, but you know, it is finally out and we can finally talk about it this week. So basically, we got this email from Qualys saying that they'd found a number of vulnerabilities in SnapConfine, and this is a set UID root component of SnapD. It's a low-level application used uh, to set up the execution environment for a Snap. It's written in C, not in Go, as the vast majority of the rest of SnapD is because it needs to interface with various low-level things. Uh, and as the name suggests, so it sets up the confinement for an application. So what it does is it creates a separate mount namespace for it with its own, say, private temp and private dev PTS, uh, as well as you know, the various other mounts that might be needed uh, for the Snap plus uh, loading of, say, setcomp syscall filters and the like for the snap as well to you know, confine it. Uh, so as a result, you know, to do all these things, it actually requires root privileges to do those sorts of operations, hence why this uh, binary is set UID root. You know, even though a normal app user wants to run a snap, we then need to go and set it up uh, in this constrained environment uh, to confine it, but we need to be root to do that. And so, as you can imagine, it's a high-value target, like all set UID root binaries are. And as we talked about at the start, you know, the uh, U-mount and Fuser-mount binaries, again, similarly, Qualys have been looking at all of these. As a result, you know, we know that this is such a high-value target. It's been very defensively programmed from the start. Uh, and it itself it uses setcom and AppArmor to confine itself. So there is actually an AppArmor profile for uh, snap confine so that it can't do anything that you know it's not intended to do in general. But given that the fact that it needs to kind of create this execution environment and do these privileged uh, operations, there is a certain amount of privileges that it does have. But as you can imagine, not uh, you know the fact I'm talking about this, there were issues in it. So nonetheless, even the most carefully programmed software can have issues. In this case, the two vulnerabilities, one was in the handling of hard links. Essentially, uh, a user can hard link snap confine somewhere else, and then it will go and execute uh, an arbitrary binary on their behalf. Uh, this does require a non-standard configuration because by default, the kernel enables hard link protections such that you can't you know, hard link, say, a set UID root binary into some location that's not already owned by root. Uh, so that you do need to disable that uh, standard protection. But if uh, a system administrator has done that, then that could then be used uh, to mount this attack. 
The other one was a possible rakes condition that occurred when creating the mount namespace that essentially allows an unprivileged user to kind of create some of these directories that Snap Confine is expecting to use to set up this mount namespace, inject their own malicious content into there, and that then will get uh, essentially executed by Snap Confine through uh, like an LD preload so that it can then get root privilege escalation as a result. And so, uh, you know, Qualys have got an excellent uh, write-up of this, really detailed. I'm going to try and go into some of the details in this uh, podcast episode, but if you want to know more about it, I've got a link in the show notes. I uh, definitely recommend you to go and read it. It's really entertaining. And actually, they liken the vulnerabilities to, uh, or I guess, and the process of finding them to like playing the original Lemmings game due to the complex nature of the steps required uh, to do this because of the you know, defense in depth nature of Snap Confine and the various ways that it has been written that do make make this quite difficult. This actually isn't the first time that Snap Confine has been audited. Uh, actually, the Suzy Linux team uh, previously did this back in 2019, and uh, they found a few issues then, and those were fixed. And interestingly, one of them was actually in the same uh, code section as what uh, this new vulnerability has been found in as well. But uh, yeah, let's get back to these vulnerabilities. So the first one uh, is around uh, the use of a couple helper binaries that are used when uh, creating and tearing down the mount namespace itself. So uh, those are actually written in Go, even though the rest of SnapConfine is written in C. And so to then be able to execute those, uh, SnapConfine will, uh, well, because those are installed in the same location as SnapConfine, SnapConfine just looks at the path where it's running from. It then goes and constructs, you know, paths for these things that uh, have the same, you know, location, but different name, obviously, and then goes and execs them. And because it's running as root, they then get executed as root. Uh, as you can imagine, if you can get Snap Confined to execute from a location where it's not expecting to be, where it's, say, not owned by root or where these other binaries aren't, you could then go and drop your own other binaries into lo the location next to that. It will then go and execute them instead, and you've got a pretty trivial uh, root privilege escalation there as a result. As I say, the, the way to do this, though, is you need to be able to, say, symlink Snap Confined into, say, slash temp. Because Snap Confine is uh, setuid root, that is then actually prevented by the regular uh, protected hard links protection that's uh, enabled by default on basically all Linux distros, uh, and so you are protected from that one, uh, you know, by that kind of defense in depth protection already. Uh, the other vulnerability, though, is the I guess the more interesting one, and that's actually a race condition that occurs when creating the private mount namespace for a Snap. So uh, because when you execute a given snap, we want to make sure that they can all share their own, say, private slash temp, the mount namespace is always created under the real slash temp. That actually isn't uh, the fact that it needs to be a slash temp, but just in a known location. Uh, and so that, that, that way then if I run, say, two instances of the same snap, they can both share then the same private temp directory between them. Now, this is uh, kind of a known dangerous thing to do because obviously slash temp is world writable. You can, uh, you know, people can put sim links in there and can kind of trick uh, all kinds of things or the following content that they shouldn't. And as a result, that code is actually written quite defensively. We use a lot of the like open at and those kind of system calls so that we don't inadvertently follow sim links and the like along the way. Uh, however, uh, there is one part of that code where we actually have to do a bind mount into that location and the mount system call takes an absolute path. As a result, uh, there is the possibility that a normal user could go and create uh, that path with a sim link in it along the way and then that mount will occur with the uh, user-controlled path rather than the one that uh, SnapConfine is expecting to have created itself that would be, say, root-owned. Unfortunately, there isn't, say, a mount at system call or similar, which would allow us to do this a lot more safely. So this is kind of a bit of a dangerous operation, unfortunately, and that is the bit, as I say, that Qualys were able to exploit. 
essentially what they do is that they uh, create part of this um, file system path that is then symlinked off to their own content. They can then go and drop their own, say, malicious libraries into that. Uh, Snap can find then will say, essentially bind mount that into the execution environment for the Snap. They then actually set things up so that Snap can find itself gets called a second time uh, in that Snap execution environment. Again, it's running as root inside that location. It now has this malicious content kind of pre-injected in there or preloaded into it, essentially via LD preload. And because that is an LD preload, the library that uh, they've injected gets executed as root by Snap confined. And that's a, again, a trivial uh, root privilege escalation as a result of root code execution. Now, in both these cases, actually, we do use AppArmor to try to isolate SnapConfine. As I say, SnapConfine is programmed very defensively and it will refuse to execute if it's not uh, appropriately confined by AppArmor. Uh, however, it would just check that it was uh, running under AppArmor confinement. It wasn't actually checking that it was running under the profile that it was expecting to be. Which is to say, you can actually use uh, the AppArmor utility, AAXEC, to launch any given binary under you know, a particular AppArmor profile. And so if there is already that profile loaded into uh, the kernel, then you can then get uh, something else to run under a profile that wasn't necessarily intended to. And what that means is I can then say, have a, a profile in the kernel that is more permissive than say SnapConfine expects it to be, and then get it to run under that. And so then it can escape some of those, uh, I guess, uh, restrictions that we had intended it to have. So one of the fixes for this was obviously then to make sh have SnapConfine check that it was running under a profile that it expected it to be and to have it to exit if it wasn't. Uh, and that's kind of more of an additional hardening thing. That's not really a fix for the vulnerabilities themselves because there are systems that uh, SnapConfine runs on and SnapD runs on that don't have AppArmor. So the real fixes for these were making sure that SnapConfine uh, would, would check that it is located where it expects to be. That means then it won't go and execute these other arbitrary helper binaries that may not be the ones it expects to be. So that's the first vulnerability. And the second one was that to make sure that when setting up the mount namespace uh, directory hierarchy, to then go and forcefully kind of move aside any uh, parts of that that weren't already owned by it as it expected to be. And that then means that you know, the users can't go and kind of create those on its behalf and trick it into including other you know, unknown content as a result. So those were the two vulnerabilities that Qualys found. Uh, the other two that I wanted to mention were, as I say, both found by Canonical employees. Uh, the first one of these was that uh, the permissions that were created on the uh, per user sort of private snap home or private storage area, that's actually the... Uh, uh, snap directory in your home directory that then has subdirectories for each of the snaps to store their stuff in. Those weren't created with uh, sort of private permissions. They were potentially able to be read by other users on the machine. So the fix for that was pretty simple just to make sure that it actually has the right permissions. Uh, the other one though was a bit more sinister and that's actually around the handling of AppArmor rules for snaps. So you know, as I say, snaps are confined. They're not usually able to access content sort of outside of what they ship themselves. But you can imagine that it is useful for snaps to be able to share content that allows us to do things like, say, have a snap that is uh, contains, I don't know, say uh, the GTK theme for the system. And then other snaps that are, uh, say, GNOME apps or GTK apps to be able to load that uh, theme content from that snap. And they can do that through defining what's called a content interface. It's a way of sharing files between snaps. And so one snap uh, has the slot for the interface. Other snaps can then plug it. That means they connect to it and they can then access that content. And so the snap that declares that interface as a slot, it then will declare certain paths within its own snap environment that are then exposed outside to the other snaps. Uh, as you can imagine, this is you know, potentially dangerous. So we do actually validate that it is uh, using paths that it's meant to, that you know, it's not trying to, I don't know, expose content that it shouldn't or that it doesn't have ownership to. 
However, we weren't doing sufficient validation there. And so you could potentially have other content trailing that path that wasn't uh, a directory name. And you could have say things like uh, a comma that would end an AppArmor rule and then additional content that would specify additional AppArmor rules as a result. And this would then allow essentially a snap to declare its own AppArmor policy and get that injected into the resulting policy that would be generated. Uh, you know, unlike things like SE Linux, AppArmor policy is human readable, they're text files, they get generated by SnapD and this obviously is quite helpful if we need to debug these sorts of things and you know, as a user you can even just go and look at the Snap uh, AppArmor profiles that are generated under varlib SnapD AppArmor if, you, if you're ever interested. That can then tell you everything that you know snaps are able to access, uh, but as a result, because these are essentially just strings that then get uh, you know injected into the the profiles, you can inject arbitrary rules as a, as a result. Uh, the next part of that is that you actually need to make sure that interface gets connected. By default, when you install a Snap, there's only a few certain interfaces that can get auto-connected. However, uh, Snaps that are both published from the same publisher, they are auto-connected by default. So all that means then is then a malicious publisher just needs to publish one Snap to the store that uh, declares one of these malicious content interfaces, another Snap to the store that uses that malicious content interface, get a user to install you know, both those Snaps, and then they've effectively given or be able to give you know those snaps uh, excess permissions and they should have had and to escape the confinement and to you know, then i don't know maybe be able to read up to files or whatever it might be on the user system as a result so the fixes for this one uh, were to make sure obviously that we're validating those paths more correctly within SnapD, but also uh, AppArmor does support uh, the kind of quoting file system paths within the profile. So now we make sure that all the generated pro AppArmor profiles have those quoted within them. So that then means not only you know, are we trying to make sure that you can't inject uh, malicious content, but even if you do, that that then is quoted and it won't uh, get interpreted by AppArmor as additional rules as well. So yeah, as I say, uh, these vulnerabilities have been uh, a long time in the making, particularly the Qualys ones. Uh, you know, I want to say thanks to the Qualys team for working uh, with us on these, as well as you know, the SnapD team, all of their work in trying to get these ready. Uh, but I think overall, it does show that the defense in depth approach that uh, we, you know, we have taken along the way has been worthwhile, even though obviously these were able to be exploited. Uh, it was quite difficult. Qualys mentioned in their disclosure that they nearly gave up, essentially looking for vulnerabilities here because the code A looked you know, so difficult defensive but also due to just how hard it was once they had found vulnerabilities to try to find ways to exploit them and they actually detail a number of different ways that they tried and failed along the way uh, but yeah yeah we do want to thank them for that it has been uh, really good working with them getting feedback from them on the patches that we've uh, drafted and that kind of thing along the way but in particular the snap d team for all their work on doing this you know there are kind of other stories in this as well around you know, obviously uh, in, uh, unintended consequences that happen some of these uh, hardening measures have then ended up breaking other things that snaps have done and scrambling at the last minute to get fixes for those along the way and the like as well yeah so thanks uh, in particular the snap d team uh, the other members of the security team that have worked on this and qualis for all the help uh, in disclosing these in the first place all right so that actually takes us to the end of this week's episode as i say check out the qualis uh, disclosure if you want to know more details on those vulnerabilities but in the meantime if you want to get in contact with the security team email us at security we also hang out in the ubuntu security channel on the libera.chat irc network uh, there is a security section on discourse.ubuntu.com kind of the uh, discourse instance that is used for regular community discussions of uh, ubuntu if you want to start a topic there and discuss anything or you can always hit us up on twitter at ubuntu underscore sec as well so thanks everyone for listening again for another week i will be back again with you all next week and until then remember keep calm because we've got your back and i'll speak to you soon bye